0: Good morning. Good morning. It's great to see everyone. Cornelia Funk wrote a book several years ago called Inkheart. Have you heard of it? Inkheart. It's a young adult action adventure novel. In it there's a man named Silver Tongue and whenever he reads a book Objects and people from the book come into this world, and unfortunately, things and people from this world go into the book, and it wreaks all kinds of havoc. They actually made a movie about, uh, about this book. And the reason why I bring this up is because, uh, really, it's, it's why we read the Bible, isn't it? We read the Bible not because it's just a book with information— We want God to become alive in our life when we read the Bible. We want God to change us and to change the world around us. When we read the Bible, we expect this world where we're living in, our lives, our families, our communities, our very heart, we expect them to be changed. That's what our desire is. And uh, in order for that to happen, it's going to be important for us to understand how to read the Bible. And to know how to read the Bible, I think we need to know what the Bible is. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. The Bible actually talks about itself. And we're going to be taking a look at 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning to see what the Bible says a little bit about itself. Uh, But before we do, why don't we pray and ask God to bless our time in His Word. Heavenly Father... You worked very hard to make this Bible available to us today. And Father, we pray that the same Holy Spirit that inspired the men to write this word would also illuminate our hearts, that we might be able to understand it rightly, apply it rightly to live for you. I pray that our love for you would grow and expand and deepen because of our time in your word together this morning and i pray this in jesus name amen it can be a very murky and confusing world that we live in and the bible is a lamp unto our feet it shows us the way we should go and how we should live if we interpret it correctly if If we apply it correctly. And and there are times when we see people twist the scriptures, misinterpret the scriptures, misunderstand the scriptures. And I believe today that if we know better what the Bible is, we might be able to begin to understand and apply it. So let's take a look at 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm starting in verse 16. And what we're going to find here is that the scriptures are truth the scriptures are truth second peter chapter 1 16 to 18 for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our lord jesus christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for when he received honor and glory from god the father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. All right, what is he talking about here? Peter says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. Stories that maybe sound true, but aren't really true. A couple of myths that we have today. Some is, one of them is, and it's an old wife's tale, if you go outside when your hair is wet, you're going to catch a cold. That's actually not true. Wet hair does not create viruses which give you a cold. Some people will say that food with mayonnaise spoils more quickly. That's actually not true. The acid in the mayonnaise actually helps preserve that food better when it's out on your picnic. Some people will say that you can get poison ivy from another person who has poison ivy. That's not true. Now, if the oil from the plant is on the person and that touches you, then you can get it. But all the youth were safe to interact with the other youth that had poison ivy uh, from working this week, uh, cleaning up O.C. Hill uh, backyard. You can't catch poison ivy from someone else's poison ivy. Another myth, that we only use 10% of our brain. How many people have heard that myth? You only, we only use 10% of our brains. Not true. We use 100% of our brains. Boy, are we in trouble. <laughs> if this is what 100% of our brains look like, we're in big trouble. Okay, here's another one. If you have really bad heartburn when you're pregnant, you're going to have a hairy baby. This is true. It is not a myth. It is actually true. If a mother has very serious heartburn when she's pregnant, she is very most likely to have a very hairy baby. The um, hormone that uh, generates hair also relaxes the esophagus, which allows the heartburn to happen. So, Laura, my wife, had really serious heartburn when she was pregnant with Matthias. This is what he looked like when he was born. <laughs> Like father, like son, can you tell he's mine? I, I'm joking. I'm joking. That that's my daughter Madeline. No, no. <laughs> no. Peter p- Peter is not talking about old wives' tales when he's talking about myths here. When he says we did not follow myths, what he means is that there were some Jewish religious myths some falsehoods that were being passed around well we would call them mythology like greek mythology and people were listening to this four different times paul in his letters especially to the pastors first and second timothy and in titus four different times he warns them these pastors don't let these myths don't let these false religious teachings infiltrate your church they're going to sound religious they're going to sound all spiritual but they're just not true and to to base your life to to base your soul on something that's not true is foolhardy and dangerous we need something true that we can rely on and peter is saying that the word is true and, and he says it's true because he is an eyewitness. He is an eyewitness. He says, I saw Jesus in the flesh. What I'm writing is true. Most commentators believe that the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, while written by John Mark, is based on Peter's experience. And that Peter worked with John Mark to, to write that gospel. Peter is an eyewitness to what happens, to what happened with Jesus. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I want you to know the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know about the real Jesus and what he said in his majesty that he was God in the flesh. And he talks about this voice from heaven. Does anybody know what he's talking about there? Yeah, the transfiguration. He's talking about the transfiguration. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. This is uh, John Mark writing Peter's account of what he's referring to here in 2 Peter, in his second letter. But in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2, we get the fuller story of what Peter's referring to. Mark 9, starting in verse 2. And after six days... Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, so Peter was right there, he's an eyewitness, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Absolutely amazing account of something that really happened. Jesus appeared on the mountain, and Moses and Elijah came with him. And Peter, who didn't know what to say, began to speak. (laughs) Sounds like most pastors. Didn't know quite what to say, so he started talking. And he was actually interrupted by God, who spoke a voice, an audible voice from heaven, that said, Jesus is my son. Listen to him. The affirming of the power and the majesty, the person of Jesus was given by a voice from heaven, and Peter was there and heard it, and he saw it. Jesus is the consummation of the law and the prophets of Moses, who represents the law and the prophets, represented by Elijah. Jesus is the fulfillment of what the Old Testament was saying. So back here in 2 Peter, as as Peter is describing this and why it's important that this happened, he, in essence, is giving us a projection that there were the Old Testament prophets, and then Jesus came, and he was the consummation of what the Old Testament said God was going to do. And he did this in front of witnesses. He didn't do this secretly. Jesus did this in front of witnesses, and these witnesses wrote down what they saw and that gives us the new testament. It, it Peter says that we now have something made more sure. That it's almost like we're getting more and more weight, more and more evidence of what God is doing. Started with the old testament, And then it came to Jesus and the eyewitnesses and now what we would call the New Testament. And we now have it, according to verse 19, more fully confirmed. The word of God in the Old and New Testament is absolutely solid. It can't be moved or changed. It is steadfast. It is steady. It is firm, it is sure, it is certain, it is dependable, it is reliable. Our faith is solid and made more sure because it rests on historical facts that were written down by eyewitnesses. Our faith is made more solid and strong because it is based on historical facts that were written down by eyewitnesses. It is true. The scriptures are truth. They are true and therefore they are trustworthy. The scriptures are trustworthy. The scriptures are not only truth, but they are also divine and human both. The scriptures, the Bible that you hold in your hand or have loaded onto your device is both divine and human. We refer to it as dual authorship. Look with me here, 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 20 and 21. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the holy spirit that's how we got the bible men spoke from god as they were carried along by the holy spirit men were involved carried by god through the power of the holy spirit this is so important that we're going to make this our new memory verse for this month second peter 1:21 say it with me men spoke from god as they were carried along by the holy spirit second peter 1 21 this is how your bible was created dual authorship you see it there in the purple men wrote it but they spoke from god now listen they didn't speak for god it wasn't generated from man it was generated from god and he used men he carried them along By the Holy Spirit this is called inspiration that's the word that we use inspiration now don't get this confused with the word the English word inspirational there are inspirational books and movies inspirational is a word that describes the effect that the book or the movie has on the person who reads it or watches it wow that was very inspirational it had an effect on me that's not what we're talking about right now although we do want the bible to have an effect on us that's not what we're talking about when we describe inspiration when we say inspiration we're not talking about the effect that the book has on the reader we're talking about the effect that god had on the authors that they were inspired Uh, paul says in second timothy he describes this process as god breathing out Almost like expiration instead of inspiration. It comes from God through man. This was not dictation necessarily. There are certain sections of the Bible that were given by dictation. For example, the Ten Commandments. says the finger of God wrote them on there. That was direct dictation. God wrote the Ten Commandments and gave them to Moses. But most of the Bible is not by dictation. It's not that these authors fell into some kind of uh, ecstasy or had a vision it is they were carried by the Holy Spirit to write down what they wrote down they weren't possessed by the Holy Spirit they were carried along by the Holy Spirit that word carried along that verb sometimes used to describe wind in the sails of a boat it moves them to write down the very words that God wanted written down to the very word, and yet using them as the authors. It's unlike pastors making a sermon. A pastor was writing a sermon, he was working in his office, writing it down, studying the word, and his young son comes in and says, Dad, what are you doing? He says, I'm working on my sermon. How do you know what to write down? Well, God tells me what to write down. Well, Dad, how come sometimes you erase? And the reason why is because pastors aren't inspired the same way that the authors of Scripture were inspired. Paul didn't have to erase anything as he wrote his letters, as, he, as, uh, as Peter spoke and was moved by the Spirit in the book of Acts in his sermons. Carried along by the Holy Spirit. Inspiration. This is different than illumination illumination is what the same Holy Spirit that inspired these men then illumines the scripture. He he explains it to believers, to his children, as they read it. That process is a little bit different. Inside your bulletin, there is a little diagram that explains this. We're going to be focusing today, sermon, on the idea of inspiration and the idea of illumination and you can see that on there I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that diagram but I think it's something that kinda clarifies the process how we got the scriptures that we have is uh, explained in in this diagram the thoughts were in God's mind he revealed them to the authors and they through a unique experience of inspiration which will never be repeated wrote down perfectly what God wanted you and I to know. And through translation and some other things, now that same spirit, as we read English versions of the Bible, illumines and interprets the Scriptures so that we have God's thoughts in our minds. Parts of that process are inerrant. They are without error. Other parts of this process may contain some error. We don't have time to talk about all of those things. But what Peter is saying here is that we have a very trustworthy word from God. And it's trustworthy because the Holy Spirit m- moved through these men to have a dual authorship. Let me explain a little bit about how the scriptures are divine. The scriptures are divine in their majesty. The, the, what they talk about, they talk about the trinity... Who would ever have thought of that? No man would ever have thought of that. But in the scriptures we get the majesty of the trinity. Of Jesus the God-man having two natures. The, the word is divine. It's simple. Any person can understand it. Despite the majestic nature of its topics. It's still simple in its presentation. The Bible is, is, has an integrity. There are no internal contradictions in this divine word. Although there were 40 authors, and it was written over 2,000 years from people of different cultures and different walks of life, there is a unity and a harmony completely throughout the whole scriptures because it's divine. There is a truthfulness. Not only are there no internal contradictions, there's no external contradictions. Science does not disprove the word of God. It is divinely true. Mysteries are revealed. Where did men come from? What Happens at death. What's the purpose of life? Because it's from God, the Bible can answer those questions. Those mysteries are revealed. There is a relevance to our deepest needs. How do I form a relationship with God? Where can I find forgiveness? How do I understand who I am? These things are revealed in God's word because they're straight from him. There is a universal application. It is true for all people through all time periods. Because the Word is divine. There is a superior quality and beauty to God's Word because it comes directly from God. There are fulfilled prophecies. Things that were told hundreds of years ago were fulfilled hundreds of years later because God knows the future. Men do not. The Bible has the power to transform lives. It is alive and active because it's divine. There is moral perfection in the Bible. Love your enemies wow just thinking about that one truth about what is moral perfection this must come from god the fact that the bible still exists although throughout all the millennia people have wanted to destroy it is evidence that this book is divine this book is from god but it was written by men as men Men spoke from God. So there are human qualities to the Bible. Because it is written by God, we desire to read it. Because it's written by men, we can read it. They use human language. There's a cultural environment from which these men are speaking. So they have different rules of biography, different rules of history than we do in our time. So we shouldn't be surprised then if there's a different value put on exactness in approximation because they wrote in a certain culture. They have a different idea of order of events, of chronology, of summarizing instead of giving details. They have different rules of quoting sources than we do in the modern age. We shouldn't be surprised. That the Bible written by men who are surrounded from a certain cultural environment might write the language differently than we would write. They speak from a temporal, historical situation. They all have a different writing style, different personalities, different experiences, different point of views. They all have different purposes for writing, different emphases that they're trying to make. There's different genres in your Bible. There's biography, there's history, there's poetry, there's drama, there's letters, there's parables, there's allegory, there's symbolism, there's apocrypha. All of these are human ways of writing. And because it's a human book, the rules for interpretation are the same for other human writings. You see, many people take a look at their Bible and they know it's divine and they therefore think it's magic. But they don't use the word magic. They'll use the word mystical. And so they read it incorrectly. They think that they can just open up a a, a section of the Bible, God speaks to them directly through it, and they don't have to do the hard work of finding out what the author's original intention is. We're going to begin a sermon series. This is actually the first sermon in a series called Context is King. And what I would like to do is take some commonly misapplied verses and explain how the context makes it say something different than popular Christianity thinks it says. Because you have to read the Bible the way the Bible was given to us. And it wasn't given to us magically. And so we don't read it magically. It was given to us through human authors who have a certain way of writing, just like all human beings do. And so we can interpret it correctly. And we need to know what those rules are. And so, my goal over this summer is to explain how we can understand the Bible by looking at the context and then applying it correctly. Because the Bible is both human and divine. Because it's divine and human. It's authoritative in our life. Because it comes from God, it has authority in our life. Because it comes from God, it is inerrant. That means without error, without mistakes. That the Bible itself is inerrant. Now, we might say, well, how can the Bible be inerrant? I've heard this before, you may have too. If men wrote it... How can you know it's perfect and without error? Because men speak error. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12. In one sense, these people are correct. Men are different from God. In Psalm chapter 12, we see this comparison between man's words and God's words. Psalm chapter 12, verse 1. I want you to listen to the words that are used to describe men's words says, save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? You see, when you describe men, you describe men who lie, men who boast, men who flatter. They speak in order to manipulate other people to get what they want. Men who think that they themselves are their own master. Not a very good picture of the words of men. You really can't trust what some people say, can you? But what about the word of God? Verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in a furnace on the ground purified seven times what a stark contrast to the words of men so people know that men can make mistakes men can even be motivated by evil desires and so can you really trust the Bible because it was written by men you can't trust it except That these men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, God was able to take men and create an inerrant scripture without error. I want you to see how Jesus, what Jesus thought of the Bible, what Paul thought of the Bible. How did Jesus understand what the scripture was? What did Paul think the scripture was like? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus' authority is being challenged. And in this first example, what I want you to see is that the exact word that was used in the Old Testament is very important. That God spoke... So that the very words themselves that he wanted would be the very words. Down to the very word, it's inerrant. Look at in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus is being challenged, and so he challenges back. And he's talking about who the Christ is. Matthew chapter 22, we'll start in verse 39. No, is that, No, not yet, 43. He said to those who were challenging him, How is it then that David in the spirit in that interesting right there i'm going to stop right there david in the spirit and he's about ready to quote a psalm that is exactly what peter said in chapter 1 verse 21 men carried by the spirit and jesus says that david when he wrote the psalm was carried by the spirit therefore you can trust that it's god's words through david How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him, meaning the Christ, Lord, saying, and now he quotes it, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Here's the point I want you to see. Jesus is taking a very specific word from the Bible to make a point about who he is. That means that the very words themselves are without error. You can trust the very words. Jesus is putting a theological argument about his own personhood on one word in the Scripture. So it wasn't just this general thought that God gave a man, and he kind of used words to kind of describe it, and so we can trust the thought. You can trust the very words in the Scripture that they were given by God to the men to use we're in matthew 22 go back a couple of verses now we'll go to verse 29 not only as a very word used to make a point but even the tense of the verb even the tense of the verb is going to be used to make an argument here jesus felt that god's word was without error to the very word and even the tense of the verbs chapter 22, verse 29, Jesus answered them, you are wrong. He's talking to Sadducees who think that there is no resurrection. He says, you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Drop down to verse twenty. Um, sorry, 32. He sa- he's quoting the scriptures. Have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not God of the dead but of the living. Jesus is using, I'm sorry, the very tense of that verb to make another point about God. He says God in the Bible did not say I was the God of Abraham. He said I am the God of Abraham. Which means that the very tenses of the verbs are without error and can be trusted. This is how Jesus saw the Bible. God speaking without error down to the very words in the tenses of the words. One more example, because this is so important, because there are people out there that want to cast doubt on whether you can trust your scriptures. Look at how Paul used the scripture in Galatians chapter 3. Okay, These are New Testament people quoting the Old Testament down to the very word, the very tense of the word. Now get this, Paul is going to make a theological argument based on whether a word is singular or plural. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. God is talking about the law. He's talking about the promise that we have. He's talking about salvation and how it comes through Christ. And, he's, and he bases his argument on the fact that one of the words in the Old Testament is singular instead of plural. Galatians 3, 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. He is saying it is so important that the person who wrote this, Moses, who wrote this, he's quoting from Genesis, that Moses used the singular. That's important because it's referring to Christ, who is a person. Your scriptures are human and divine. Men spoke from God... As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that you can trust the very words, the exact words, the tenses of the verbs, whether they're singular or plural, it is without error. That's what Jesus thought. That's what Paul thought. That's what we think. We can trust God's word. Last point this morning. Not only are the scriptures truth, not only are they divine and human, but the scriptures are important they're important second Peter chapter 1 go back with me to verse 19 he says we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts my desire brothers and sisters my desire is that you would be motivated to read the scriptures on your own. That you would not turn to the word just in a sermon on a Sunday morning or even just in your small group or just in your Sunday school class. That you would seek God's face and that you would find it in his word as the spirit who inherently inspired the men to write it would illumine your hearts because you are his child by faith. I want you to be motivated to do this. I want you to see that this is the way that God has determined we will know him. The only revelation of God that we can trust is the written word of God. More than visions we might have. More than a thought that might just come into our minds when we listen to a worship song. God has chosen to speak to us inerrantly through his word. Oh, I pray that you would love God enough, desire him more and more, that you would go into his word. And that you would see him in his word. Because it's divine, we desire to read it. It accomplishes internal changes in the believer because it's human we can understand it it's not written in some heavenly language it's written in human language and we can understand it my goal this summer is to equip you to cur- to correctly interpret it if you don't know where to start if you're motivated to read let me give you a couple of of uh ideas in the bulletin, on the same page where we, we have the diagram, there's a couple of ideas. Now, this is not anything that you have to do, but it might be a way to start. It's, I'm going to, uh, down here are displayed the, the verses that we're going to discuss this summer and how they're commonly misinterpreted. And I would encourage you to go to the scriptures and read these verses in context and come prepared. And then if you want to read a, a larger section, in the fall we're going to begin a series called The Once and Future King. We're going to go through the life of David and see how that's a parallel to Christ. The Once and Future King. And so maybe you want to start by reading First and 2 Samuel. That will get you ready for the fall. If you are not quite sure about your faith In Christ or who Jesus is another place to read would be the Gospel of John the Gospel of John does a beautiful job of laying out the person of Christ there are so many different ways that you could be reading your scriptures and that's my challenge to you I pray and I've been praying this week that the Spirit of God would well up inside you and draw you to his word that you might know him and love him better Let's stand for our final benediction. And now may the spirit who inspired the authors of God's word illuminate your heart and mind to know him more deeply through his word to his eternal glory and your eternal blessedness. Amen and amen. God bless you. Enjoy the Lord's day.